Do I hear murmuring? I'm going to ask what, what amounts to be basically a rhetorical question because I know everybody's going to raise their hand, practically everybody. How many are interested in spiritual growth? Just keep your hands up so I can get a count. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I gave you a, a list of 10 questions that you could utilize to evaluate whether or not you're growing. Do you recall those? Friday night, last night, we had a little difficulty recalling the questions. But I told them that the Saturday night people were probably much more able to do and recall the questions. Bob has them with him. He came prepared. What would be, what would be some of those questions? If you're going to evaluate your life over periods of time, to see if you are growing, what, what, what questions, what, what, what measures would you use to evaluate whether or not you're growing spiritually? Are you more thirsty for God than ever before? Are you more thirsty for God than ever before? Are you more and more loving? Do you care about the needs of others? What is it? Do you care more about the spiritual and material needs of others? Are you governed more by the word of God? your life Ooh, more where you guys are on it you are on it all right are you thinking more and more that's right more and more of heaven and being with the lord jesus i was thinking about that very thing today just thinking about that very thing today about about heaven and about being with jesus and seeing him face to face what an awesome thought. So those are, those are some means whereby we can actually measure if we're growing. Should Christians be growing? Yes. We should be growing into the likeness and the image of who? Jesus, Jesus himself. Now, if we're going to grow, I gave you last week five practices, actual life practices, that would be essential and it would be life transforming. In other words, would add to or enhance or be a, a, a facilitation of spiritual growth. Does anybody remember what those were? Remove the mask. Which means what? How, what's the best way a person can remove your mask? Confession. Confession. What's another one? Look in the mirror. Looking in the mirror, what does that do for me? What do I do looking in the mirror? I'm not a hearer only, I'm a doer. So I'm going to be applying the word to my life, okay? What's another, what's another essential practice? Stand on the scale. Standing on the scale means, it translates to what? Being accountable. I'm going to be accountable. If you're not accountable, you're not going to grow, I promise you. You're going to be a legend in your own mind, but you're not going to grow. What's another one? Follow the map. What does following the map refer to? Allowing people to have input into your life, right? 
If you're in a small group, I, you're, you're in their mini church. These are, these are, are, are folks who, who have lots and lots of experience with the word of God, with fellowship, their own personal growth. So if you are in that mini church with Larry and Dave and John and Beth, you want, you want their input into your life. If you've got a, a, an issue you're wrestling over, you don't know what to do. You want to take their counsel. You want to listen to their counsel. There's wisdom in much counsel, especially with godly people and people who have been where you are or have done what you're trying to do. You always want to go and get some counsel. So you follow the map. They'll, be, they'll provide a map for you. And the last one? Embrace, Embrace each other. And, and how we embrace each other is with what? Genuine acceptance. No judgmental, no critic. It's easy to judge each other, isn't it? And that's, that's typically our default position. We are real quick to judge. We're not real quick to accept. We're not real quick to accept, extend grace. We're not real quick to love. We're quick to judge. The Bible tells us don't be judgmental that way. So we want to be able to communicate acceptance we want to be able to communicate love and we want to be able to communicate encouragement how everybody needs encouragement would you agree it's so nice when someone comes along and says an encouraging word to you and you actually believe they mean it you walk away from that encounter encouraged quite frankly okay all right so tonight i want to talk to you about the whole concept of community and I want to use the community, and I want to translate that in terms of this phrase. And you may have heard this. I've, I've talked about this before. Doing life together. Should Christians do life together? Man, we need each other. We need each other. Any one of us who've been on the periphery and not either figured out or been invited in or participating in in relationship and learned how to evidence uh, those five things and certainly have no measure, uh, no means to measure our growth. If you've been on the outside looking in, it is cold out there. But once you get involved, it makes all the difference in your life. It makes all the difference in your life. So I want to talk to you about that tonight. I suspect that the desire for community is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere in every single culture. People, this is hardwired into us. We were created for community. We hunger for community. We desire community. You may have a love-hate relationship with the whole idea of community. What am I going to have to do? What's going to be required of me? But you still long for it. A lot of people deny that, and they're not happy people, and the people around them are not happy people. But when you're in community and you're learning to grow in grace, man, all of a sudden the world takes on a whole different, whole different flavor. People are in community in all sorts of places. You ever hear, you ever watch or, or hear that little jingle from that old TV show, Cheers? Here's a bar where everybody knows your name. The desire for community. People join gangs. You say, well, why do they join gangs? Because they want to be violent. No, they join gangs fundamentally because they want to be part. It's community. 
country clubs, networking sites. I mean, it's just the, the, the examples are, are multiple. The point is, we all have an innate desire to belong. Is that a fair statement? Are you in touch with that in your own life? I, I want to belong. The question is not, will we engage in community? No, no, no. The question is, what type of community will we engage in? I have this drive, I have this desire, but the, the, how am I going to satisfy it? How am I going to meet that, that desire to be in community? I think our desire, certainly as a body and as a church, should be that every one of us would find some small group of people simply to learn how to do life together. Just to learn how to do it. I tell my class all the time, many of you have been in my class, Discovering Hope, and we start off, we meet around tables, and we, and you guys are in there, right, Lori? And I hope you're having a good time so far, Desi, all right. (laughs) And I always tell people, I said, okay, we're just practicing. We're just practicing community. That takes the pressure off. You're not performing. We're just practicing, getting to know people we've never met before, People that we would probably wouldn't necessarily choose. And as you interact and learn testimonies and hear people talk, you go, mm, mm, mm. But it gives you an opportunity to learn to practice community. Am I making sense? Find that to be true on Wednesdays? Hope you guys are coming back. <laughs> okay, good. The idea... And, the, and the, essence, the essence of community, the essence of relationship is this. To know and to be known. To know and to be known. I want you to know me, and I want to know you. Now, we wouldn't necessarily couch it in those terms, but that's the impulse in us. There's none of us that likes to be ignored. Would you, would you agree with me? We all want to be recognized. We want to be acknowledged in some sense. We want to be known. And the degree to which we are willing to be known makes all the difference. Our core value at Hope here has always been, always been community, and more particularly, biblical community. Now the question is, what is biblical community? Well, you start with God. In order to define biblical community, what does the Bible have to say community? We have to start with our maker and our creator, God himself. God himself has, for all eternity, has existed in community. Do you know that? Father, Son, and Spirit. God doesn't need us. He simply wanted kids. So he had us. It's just like every parent. You don't necessarily need them, but you want them. You don't know what you're going to do with them, but you figure, you'll figure out something to do with them. Right? Father, Son, and Spirit, they have dwelled in perfect unity, They dwell in perfect love, perfect joy throughout all eternity, and they'll continue to dwell in that perfect, perfect union, that perfect community. This triune God that we worship created humanity, created us as the crowning jewel of his creation. We're it. We're it. Now, our scientific community won't... We'll argue that, but we're it. 
No other aspect of all of creation is said to be made in the image of God except us. It's marvelous when you think about it. We're made in his image. We're made in his image for the display of this communal relationship. God is most glorified when we reflect back to him who he is. And that first and foremost starts in community. If you're in community, you are in effect glorifying God because you're reflecting back to him his, how he exists in community. Am I making sense? You read back in the second chapter of Genesis when God says, now, now you have to understand this. God creates the man first, doesn't he? So here's man created. No sin, totally innocent, walking and talking with God in the cool of the day in the garden. What more could you want? But what does God then say? It's not good that he's alone. Isn't that beautiful? And we're told that he makes a helper suitable to him. You see, it was not in accordance, apparently, with the purpose of God that the creature be unlike the creator. Part of our being made in his image is that we too are made for community. We read in the Gospels that among Jesus' final words before the cross was this prayer for unity among his disciples. This is where I ask you to turn to John chapter 17. Look with me at verses um, 21 and 22. Actually, back at verse 20. He says, My prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he prays for his disciples immediately, those who will become his disciples, and then those, the next generation of believers who would come as a result of their testimony. And he says, verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them, well, I'll I'll stop there. But he's talking about the fact that there's community between the Father and the Son and that there'd be the same kind of community in those who would believe, his disciples. We know from the testimony of the early church that community was the supernatural result of the Holy Spirit's influence on the church. On the day of Pentecost, the church age began. The church was instituted. The Holy Spirit came upon those believers in the upper room. And boom, they were changed. And Luke talks about the early church in Acts chapter 2 in a familiar passage to most of us. This is how he characterizes the early church and their community. They're doing life together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me ask you a question. As we read those words, does that, does that 
Does that sound like the church today? What do you think? Should we have a vote? <laughs> no. Should the church be like that more and more? Yeah. I submit to you, the church can only be like that. I mean, how many are born again? Okay, if you're born again, you have the Spirit of God living in you, right? Okay. Are we, are we evidencing the power of God in this world? Are we enjoying the favor of all the people? Are people being added literally by the thousands every day? No. What are we missing? Is there something missing? What do you think? I'm going to suggest to you there's a one, one huge big thing missing. It's community community there's anywhere between 25 to 35 to maybe 40 percent of christians in community i don't think we've ever had 80 percent of our congregation involved in community any any given time but when you have christians gathering together regularly praising god encouraging one another holding each other accountable helping one another blessing one another do you think that people's lives don't be changed? Do you think people would stand up on the outside and take notice? Wow, what is it about you? But if we continue to isolate and we eschew community, we don't think it that valuable, we don't want and are unwilling to invest our time, we're to blame. God provides us with these tremendous resources. So I want to suggest to you that it's apparent that community is not just some peripheral Christian ministry or Christian teaching. It is absolutely central. It is absolutely central to the outworking of God's purpose in your life, my life, our life together in this world. Without community, it ain't going to happen. It just That's the simple fact. Now you can argue with me all you want, but I'm convinced that this is the truth. God is glorified when he is properly reflected. And by dwelling in unity with each other in community, we rightly image our communal maker. Now, in being obedient to this calling, I think it's not unreasonable to want and to work toward every member of our church involved in the lives of others. Is that a fair thing? Is that a fair goal? If you're a member of our church. Now, if you're not a member, you're not really committed if this really isn't the place where you're going to grow up and mature, and you remember another church, you'd like to just come and visit, that's fine. But if you're a member of our church, is it reasonable to think that you should be involved in community with other members of the church? Yeah. If we're saying, we want God, we want your will done. We want you to work out your will in our lives individually, and we want you to work out your will in our life corporately. You can't pray that prayer and then just, Opt out. You just can't. It's that simple. If we're going to be obedient. Now, unfortunately, we have not always done a great job of explaining or evidencing this idea of doing life together. What is it, do you think, that is meant when we say that? What's meant by doing life together? You can take shots at it. Certainly, it's more than just hanging out together, more than going to Disneyland together. 
It's the engaging in a battle. Think about this now. It's engaging in a battle for deep, abiding relationships in the body. How many have experienced what I'm describing? Deep, abiding relationships. Dave talked to you about it when, when, he, was, when he was sharing about his experience in many church. Deep, abiding relationships. People in your life who you've known and you continue to know, and they're significant people, significant influences in your life. We're in a battle for that. I use the term battle because it is a battle. Our flesh doesn't want to enjoin that battle, does it? Our flesh wants to go, well, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. I don't want to have to deal with those people. Added to our flesh, you've got spiritual warfare going on. You've got, you've got demons who are assigned to you. They're assigned to you, and they are going to assail you, and they're going to do everything they can to distract you, discourage you, deceive you, to defeat you. So you don't get to many church. So I'm battling my flesh, I'm battling demons, and I'm battling a world system that has influenced me so much Then in some ways, I love the world better than I... I don't want to miss my favorite TV show on Wednesday night. I've confronted people over that. Well, mini church or, I don't know, whatever, whatever's on TV on Wednesday night. And people opt for, opt for the world. Wow. Have you ever had this experience? You've actually gone through that battle. You've won the battle and you've actually gone either to church or to mini church or some fellowship environment where you just resisted and you actually went and you went home and said, yeah, I'm glad I went. You know what I'm talking about. So I want to talk about four things that characterize Doing life together or biblical community. First one, this should not come as a surprise, love. Love. And when we use the term love, we all know that love can be a rather ambiguous term, can't it? When we love, I love my wife. I love my son. I love my daughter-in-law. I love my grandbaby. Incidentally, last night she was here. And uh, it was great. Michael and I made the announcements with Zoe. <laughs> Whole bunch of people. Everybody got up the front stage taking pictures. <laughs> it was wild. So we, we, love, we love those close to us. I have two dogs. I love my doggies. I love Mexican food. I love the Dodgers. Not so much the Lakers. <laughs> Our love is different in each one of those situations, isn't it? We, we use that term rather loosely. Um, have you ever said, love you, love you too? Really? That's it? It almost gets reduced to a casual expression and greeting. And 
that may reflect something behind it that is something we don't necessarily want to admit to. I have to say I love you. I want to suggest here that love is critical. It's absolutely critical. Five times in the, the, the first epistle of John, five times he writes that believers are to love one another. We're to love one another. But he doesn't leave the command to love in ambiguity. Rather, he qualifies the command by showing that that command to love is best re- represented by what God did in sending his own son, Jesus. Just look with me at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. He says, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. In other words, our love just cannot be just, we just say it. You demonstrate it. John's point is that genuine love is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. It's going to cost you something to love another person. Otherwise, you're simply tolerating that person. You're just doing the minimal just to get along. And I know all of us know what that means. It's sacrificial. Let us love in truth and in deed, not merely in word. When we say, I love you, that must mean something. And that must be backed up with actions, not just simply words. Am I making sense? Love which is not sacrificial, God says, is not really love. If it's not sacrificial, it's not love. Don't tell me you love me if you're not willing to sacrifice. Put yourself out. Go beyond that which is just easy. Don't even use the word love. Say, I like you. (laughs) Or I tolerate you. (laughs) I had somebody one time, by the way. I had someone one time greet me at the top of the stairs. And, you know, I'm greeting people and hugging and doing all that stuff. This person said, Pastor? I said, yes. I love you with the love of the Lord. I never heard that before. So I said, thank you. I appreciate that. But I couldn't shake it. So I'm thinking about it all the rest of the day. And it dawned on me. That meant I tolerate you. I went, whoa. Whoa. Consistency. Would you say we need to be consistent people? I'm forever telling husbands, 
Your wife needs you to be consistent. Not hit and miss, not here today, gone tomorrow, not, not back and forth. He need, you need him to be, your, husband, your wife needs you to be consistent with her. You may or may not know this, but what happened at the fall in Genesis chapter 3? What the fall did to women was to cause them, create insecurity in them. Insecurity. Women are, by nature, insecure. By nature, insatiable. That's not, a, that's not a, a majority thing. That's the truth. You cannot satisfy a woman. Guys, if you think you can satisfy your wife, you're dreaming. I'm serious. That's just what sin has done to women. And a man who understands that understands that he needs to, on a regular basis, top off her emotional tanks. Whether she sends a signal or not, trust me, you need to be doing it every day. Because if you don't, she's going to run out of gas, and then you really are going to know. And it takes a while to fill up their tank. Better top it off. Now, ladies, to be fair, the flip side of that is what the fall has done to men. He's, the fall has made us obtuse. We go, huh? Every, every woman innately knows that. Boy, he needs help. And I'm just the one. The point is consistency. The early church pictured in the book of Acts, that passage we just read in Acts chapter 2, daily, every day, they were consistently encouraging one another, consistently praying with each other, consistently reading God's word together, consistently breaking bread together. Consistency. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 reminds us, to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Be consistent at it. He says, and let us exhort one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know if you see the day approaching. I see the day approaching. I see the day approaching. If you don't think Islam is going to be contained, or if you think it's going to be contained in the Middle East, forget it. It's breaking out every place. This is going to be God's hand of judgment on the world. We need to be meeting together. We need to be encouraging one. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be in community so that if anyone has a need, they're in trouble. There's a group of people who know about it and will pray with you and encourage you. Now is not the time to be off on your own doing your own thing. You need the body. The body needs you. A clear scriptural admonition exists towards long-lasting relationships. We're going to be in eternity all, all together all the time. Why not start here? In community here, we're practicing for eternity. We're just practicing. Long-lasting relationships in a deep consistent presence in each other's life. There, there, I promise you, there's nothing better. Occasional or infrequent gatherings do not capture the spirit of Acts chapter 2. 
not hit and miss. It's not once in a while. You can count on me. I'm in. I'm in community, fellowship. Third, worship. Worship. The early church worshiped God. They worshiped. It wasn't just that they came to one service and sang songs. We have a skewed understanding of worship. Worship is a life experience. I'm worshiping him in every aspect of my life. As I play, I play as unto the Lord. I want it to be an expression of worship. My leisure time as unto the Lord. I want to leisure as unto him. The Apostle Paul tells us in Corinthians, whatever you do, whatever you do, even in the most mundane things of eating and drinking, do them as unto him. Why? He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. He is God. He's our creator. He's the one that loves us more than anything. He's the one that gave his son for us. My gosh. The early church spent its time in engaging in celebrating God. They're, they're always together celebrating God. If you isolate and you're out here all by yourself, away from the group, you, you, you get cold really quick. You get lethargic spiritually really quick. That's why you stay in the, in the, in the hot coals. Because you stay with the other hot coals, you'll be hot. Worshiping him. And everybody gives testimony how they're worshiping him, remembering him. Community, among other things, is a means of God's grace. How many want to know more of God's grace in their life? You, then you have to make use of the means that God gave us of his grace. Prayer is a means of grace. We access God's grace in our life through prayer, we access God's grace in our life through his reading and, and studying and meditating on his word. We access God's grace in our life as we pursue him at the Lord's table. So we take communion at all of our services every single week. Fellowship. One of the means of God's grace. And, and, and our, our attitude, if we are serious about our faith, serious about our relationship with God, our attitude should be, you know what? I am not going to ignore any of these means of grace that he supplied. I need them all. He supplied them to me. Am I making sense here? And fourthly, authenticity. People will gather together and yet do not truly know each other cannot rightly be called a community. If I'm not getting to know you, you're not getting to know me, we don't have community. We're just gathering together. We're meeting just to meet. There's no purpose beyond that. The Bible commands confession of sin, does it not? We talked about that. It commands it. I had a young man last night that come up after the service and say, you know, I, I want to know how to do that. In my mini church, because we, we don't do it in our mini church. I say, you're not alone. But if you're brave enough and you're willing, you want to break the ice, in that, you just say to the mini church, you say, may I confess my sin? Ask their permission. Prepare them. Don't just dump. Don't just blurt something out. May I, may I confess some sin? 
wow, can you imagine what's going to happen in that mini church this, this, this next week when he does that? And this is a guy that's really growing. I'm so proud of him, excited by what I see in his life. We confess our sin. We, we confess our spiritual struggles. We confess our spiritual joys, our testimonies. All of this is evidence of a life of transparency. And I think all of us understand, at least intellectually, the need to be open and transparent, right? I call your attention back to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, the very last verse of chapter 2. The, wife and his, the man and his wife are both naked and unashamed, totally transparent, totally innocent, nothing to hide. And then immediately after that, after they eaten of the fruit they were not commanded not to eat from, they what? They covered up. The barriers went up, the masks went on. And the only way to remove those is through confession. That's right. This characteristic of authenticity also bears with it a commitment to engage in the proper means of fighting back sin. Let me say that again. This characteristic of authenticity also bears with it a commitment to engage in the proper means of fighting back sin for the good of the sinner and for the health of the body and for the glory of God. We talked about some of those means last week. We talked about confession. We talked about looking in the mirror. In other words, applying God's word to our life. We talked about being accountable we talked about seeking counsel from each other. These are all means whereby we fight back against sin in our life. Not only for our own well-being, but for the health of the group and ultimately for the glory of God. Oftentimes, such a dedication to put sin to death includes maybe the use of church discipline also. So given those four characteristics of community, what then might be some practical implications now? What do you think? Love, consistency, worship, authenticity. What are the implications of those things? Could the list be, be broad? Yeah, there's no limit to that list. It could be very extensive. But I think a large number of the requirements could easily be seen by doing a search especially in the New Testament, of what's called the one another's. You know what I'm talking about? The one another passages? These passages, these passages tell us as believers how we should live, how we should live out this life of authenticity, how we should live out this life of worship, how we should live out these characteristics. Love one another. Jesus says, love one another. All men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Paul, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. That just simply means put the other person first. Yeah, but what about me? What about me? God will take care of you. You just put the other person first. This is his design. Live in harmony with one another. Learn how to get along. Serve one another. 
You recall, recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 13, how did Jesus serve his own disciples? Served them dinner, right? How did he serve them? He washed their feet. Jesus doesn't just recline at the table and say, Peter, or Judas. No, he washed Peter's feet and he washed Judas's feet. Whoa. Serve one another. Serve one another. Carry each other's burdens, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. Powerful. There isn't a single one of us in this room at some point who hasn't had some burden in our life. It's wonderful when someone comes along and helps you carry that burden. Maybe a close member of your family is sick and you need some help with that person. Or you, you can't make your schedule, your job is problematic and you need some help. Carry each other's burdens. Ephesians chapter 4, be kind and compassionate to one another. In that same verse, forgiving each other. I was reading yesterday about uh, this ruler in Uganda who's been, his name is, uh, I think it's Joseph Kony. Anybody familiar with that? Anyway, he's been ruling in Uganda for 20 years. He's an absolute, absolute uh, despot. And uh, what he had done over 20 years is he, he steals children. And because he knows kids are impressionable, and he turns these kids into murderous soldiers in his army. It's, it, his army is called the Lord's um, Liberation Army, something like that. But anyway, he uses kids. And so he, he threatens the kids so that they will murder their own parents, their own members of their own village, their own extended family, and anybody else. And this has been going on for 20 years. So a lot of these kids that were stolen early now are old, older people in their 20s. So a group of Christian people have been tracking him down and they've got him out of Uganda now, but he's still, he's still a rebel and he still has some measure of influence and he still has uh, a number of these young people with him. He still tries to steal more kids to, to influence them. The point I want to make is this. The Christian in, in Uganda is probably 80% Christian. And the Ugandan Christians are welcoming back these people who have murdered their own families. No recriminations. No judgment. And when, and when queried about this, the, the, the person who wrote the material I'm reading said she was, just, she was just stunned. She'd never seen forgiveness like this. And querying some of the Ugandans, she said, how can you do this? And they said, how could we not? God has forgiven us freely. Can't we forgive our brothers and sisters freely? Wow. Powerful. Powerful. And so these Ugandans who were, who were captured as kids and 
led murderous raids, not only on their own families, but on all these villages. And I mean, literally slaughtered people, hacked them to death with machetes and axes. The descriptions are just horrifying. The Ugandan people are welcoming them back. And they say, come, let us have tea together. Could you do that? Wow. Forgiving each other. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. As opposed to striving and insisting on your rights with one another. Submit. It's not going to kill you. Or better yet, it probably will kill you. But that's not a bad thing. Kill your pride. Do not lie to each other. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to each other. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Encourage one another and build each other up. Build each other up. I'm fond of recognizing, and some of you have been on the receiving end of what I think is encouraging, I'm hoping is encouraging to you. And, and I'll just acknowledge what I see is growth and what I sense is growth. And I just very simply say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. There were two young men in service last night who came up to me afterwards and says, were you talking about me? <laughs> I said, no, I was talking about somebody else. <laughs> but be encouraged. I'm proud of you too. <laughs> Confess your sins to each other, James chapter 5. And pray for each other. And pray for each other. I think it's fair to say that as a church family, we would want each other to live Christianly. Is that fair? We want each other to live Christianly? Yeah. We want to be distinct in the way we live our life. We want to be distinct in the way we work, in the way we speak, in the way we play in the way we even rest. But we want to do these things which glorify our gracious Lord and Savior. And I think to properly reflect his communal nature and to follow his communal commands, we must as a people engage, commit to fellowship, community, which is sacrificially loving, consistent, worshipful, and authentic. And I can think of no other way to do life together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for all the means of grace you give us. Thank you for what you freely give us.